0: Totally Football Show. Premier League begins. Arsenal suffer short-term Emery loss, but it all looks very familiar to supporters as Man City recollect three points at the Emirates. We ran up all the opening weekend news in the Totally Football Show. That's right, you're on board a brand new season on the good ship totally here on the bridge. Daniel Story. Good morning. Tom Williams. Hello, James. And Michael Cox. Hello. Hi, Michael. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you Great news Tom, you've had a brilliant weekend Tom, since he's come in Has mentioned nothing but his favourite bits of the weekend There's Geese in there There's Mike and Tyler's outtakes What else? People being hit in the well, go nuts
1: People being hit in the nuts I think Mark Noble and Jack Wilshere Each using their testicles to block shots right. Within two seconds of each other at Anfield yesterday Was a potential highlight of the Did weekend Did you Hazard? I, I chortled a little bit, yeah Did you have yeah. a
0: chortley moment this weekend, Daniel?
2: Uh, No, I don't think I did have a Hmm. Which sounds particularly bleak Yeah, that makes my weaker sound very bleak What about the goose running on the field at Macclesfield Town? I'll take one for the team from Tom then And mention the goose Right There was a goose on the pitch at Macclesfield Town A Canadian goose Oh yeah Uh, Goose poirier, goose Inc. I've got nothing else That's brilliant no,
0: mm. off the top of your head, that's, that's excellent. But it was chased off; it was manhandled by the players. It
1: was—I think it was some ground stuff by the looks of it. It oh. was—it was—it was shooed off. We were just saying that no matter how glitzy and sophisticated football gets, an animal scurrying onto the pitch unexpectedly will never
0: not be amusing, that's which the is basis comforting. of Joey Barton's career, mm. right? Right. Well, there you go. Right,
3: Michael, you're you're all about the fun in football. What did you most enjoy this weekend? Well, I did over here Martin Tyler conversation actually, which was him and Peter Drury. Uh, discussing whether you should go for Kepper or Ariza Balaga for Chelsea's new goalkeeper, uh-huh. and they both reluctantly agreed that actually it's Ariza Balaga because that's what's on the back of his shirt. Brilliant. You you mentioned that he used to be assistant manager at Kingstonian. My entirely, yes, he did, and he was uh, somewhat uh, vocal towards referees uh, as assistant managers at non-league level are, and it just doesn't feel right to hear. Swearing in Martin Tyler's voice. Can you imagine it was Peter Drury doing it? I, that would be fantastic <laughs> swearing. I'd, I'd pay to hear that level of swearing. There you go, Peter. On commentators deciding what to call
1: players' chat. Interesting to note that um, I think both Martin Tyler and Guy Mowbray of the BBC have decided that they're going to refer to Arsenal's new centre back Socrates Papas as Socrates. Yeah. Just because it's easier to say.
0: That's the that's the well, only reason. it does reason... say Socrates on his shirt. Yeah, it
1: does. But I,
3: th- I think Arsenal are going for Socrates as yeah. well. is yeah. there just for ease of thing. pronunciation? Yeah. I mean, you know, fair enough.
0: Good point, Tom. You were at the Fulham game, weren't you? Yes, I was. All yeah. right. Looking forward to hearing more about that later on, and indeed all the the big talking points of this weekend. We've got loads of questions from you. Thank you ever so much, listener. We're going to begin though with Socrates and Co at the Emirates in Sunday's big clash with Man
4: City. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
0: Starting at the Emirates then, Arsenal-Man City. Who was there? Oh, Michael. Right, excellent. Uh, Goals from Sterling and Bernardo Silva and a Man City team as as dominant when they wanted to be as they were last season.
3: Yeah, it was a very comfortable win for them. I thought they defended very well. I think that was maybe the most interesting thing. I thought Stones and Laporte is a pretty new centre-back partnership. They only played once together last season which was on the final day of the season and they defended very high up the pitch and yet Arsenal couldn't get past them it was a really impressive showing Going forward, I think they were a little bit different from last season. They had the wingers coming in, Mahrez from the right um, and Sterling from the left with Mendy and Walker often overlapping. And they just looked comfortable. And they looked comfortable despite not having De Bruyne and Silva, um, who I think were probably their two most important players last year. So it was a a statement of intent, I suppose. Mm.
0: Yeah, the quality of their bench was kind of scary for anybody thinking about challenging them this year.
3: Yeah, it was. I mean, they could bring De Bruyne off and uh, Gabriel Jesus as well. And it was a different... City, it felt like different passing combinations and Guardiola was talking afterwards how they were pressing in a slightly different way and, you know, we were all expecting to see a new Arsenal, whereas I think really we learned more about what Manchester City are going to do this season. The Premier League hasn't been retained for, what, nine years now, as we've all been talking about recently, but it's been a long time since there was as strong a favourite at the start of the season okay. as this City side.
0: A lot of Arsenal fans talking about same old problems. It's quite harsh to take too many conclusions from an opening game for, for Emery against the side of the calibre of Man City. But what conclusions would you draw, Mr. 16, of them?
2: I think it, it emphasised that it, it's been 92 days between Arsenal Wenger's last game and, and Unai Emery's first game. What and does that, that mean? Well, it's an incredibly short period of time yeah. to to arrest a fairly long-term decline in, in Arsenal's entire structure, both off the field and on the field. Um, I thought that if Emery is going to... Um, implement his kind of his own pressing philosophy then there's an awful lot of work to be done there are several players who are not particularly fit for that purpose that's not necessarily a criticism of them it's a, it's a it's a criticism of of them in that particular style yesterday Mesut Ozil was kind of playing as a sort of hard working right winger being asked to track back but at times in the first half he he swapped with Mikatarian because Either he was running out of energy to do that, or it was stymieing his attacking, in, in, you know, his attacking play. Aaron Ramsey played as the furthest forward uh, central midfielder, but I, I think he, I'm right in saying he attempted 11 passes yesterday, which is 15 fewer than he ever has in a Premier League game before, where wow. he's played 50 minutes or more. Um, he was, he basically did nothing, and. Even he, I think once in the first half he got through and was offside and had a chance and after about two minutes he had a shot on goal as well but after that we just didn't see enough of him Right
0: Ravin ask you if there's any reasons to be cheerful for Arsenal Tom did you glean anything? Um, I mean as the guys have alluded to about Arsenal
1: look very similar to um, how they looked under Arsene Wenger and in, in many ways the team that, that Unai Emery picked looked like the kind of team that Arsene Wenger would pick I mean you had Ainsley Maitland-Niles filling in at left back and being horribly exposed against um, Riyad Mahrez and Kyle Walker Matteo Guenduzzi being thrown in at the deep end, 19 years old, starting in central midfield, mainly I think because Lucas Torreira isn't fully fit after the World Cup. He came on in the second half and and, and generally played quite well, but was at fault, or one of several players at fault for the Sterling goal, and also produced an absolute clanger second half when he misjudged the a long ball and allowed Aguero to scamper through. Um, I thought Arsenal looked a bit better when Alexander Lacazette came on. I think he gave them a bit a bit of bite. Um, unfortunately, Maitland Niles went off injured but Lichsteiner who came on in his place he seemed to have a bit more aggression about him I think a lot of the talk about how Emery will change Arsenal has focused on what they'll do without the ball, you know, more coordinated pressing, more aggressive pressing. The thing that struck me the most was what they were doing on the ball, specifically the way that they were trying to play out from the back, starting with Petr Cech, and much to the discomfort of the home fans, who at one point were so fed up of Arsenal trying to play the ball out from the back and and then losing it on the edge of their own box, Mm -hmm. that they sort of almost bullied Cech into just launching a goal kick long. And this after he'd almost put the ball into his own net. Moment. Um, with what would have probably been the best arsenal own goal since that lead Ixamon against Coventry City all those years <laughs> back, about three yards away from just first-time pass straight into, straight into his own bottom corner. So, yeah, I mean, clearly Arsenal are changing a little bit, you know, some new faces and some new intentions, but there wasn't much that that struck me as being extremely positive.
0: I was going to ask, Michael, what was the atmosphere like at the Emirates on, on what was the opening day of the era that so many of them had longed for, the, the post Arsenal?
3: It was good, actually. It felt like the fans got in there early. Um, which I think does make a difference to atmospheres and it was loud it was definitely loud it was louder than I can remember it being uh, at any point last season and it was throughout the first half really the problem was that City's second goal killed it and you had the familiar sight of lots of empty seats um, by the end I think the question about whether there are any positives is actually a very good question because The answer is no. It wasn't that it was disastrous for Arsenal, but nothing quite clicked. You saw the intentions. You saw the intentions with playing out from the back, but they gave the ball away. You saw the intentions with counterattacking, but they made wrong decisions. You saw the intentions of um, pressing high up, but they got bypassed by Laporte and Stones are so good in possession. And I think that's the frustrating thing for Emery. He didn't really know what to say at the end. I mean, in fairness, his English is not yet great. So that's probably partly the reason but usually in this situation the manager will say well the pressing was really good but we need to work on this but I don't think there was anything he can really point to and, and Gwendozi, who if you've never seen any of these players before that was a terrible performance because he did keep making mistakes and yet people are saying he's got the right idea and that kind of summed it all up Arsenal did have the right ideas but they're a long way from being you know able to compete really. I think, right.
2: I think the check thing and the passing out from the back is is possibly the the kind of archetypal image because that's what Manchester City did, and Pep Guardiola tried to do at the start. Brought in Claudio Bravo, and it, it looked like it did with Czech yesterday, where the supporters were kind of watching through their fingers and worried about mistakes. Pep Guardiola spent 35 million on Edison yesterday. That defence, 50 million Carl Walker, basically 50 million John Stones, 50 million pound plus Laporte, basically 50 million on Benjamin Mendy, easily the most expensive defence ever assembled, and. You know, Emery isn't going to get that luxury. He isn't going to be able to solve this with lavish spending, Ala, Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho, and even Jurgen Klopp. He's going to have to do it with coaching, and that's a huge, huge ask. We could use Bernd Leno, the, the the keeper that he bought. Yeah, I'm surprised he he didn't start Leno. Actually, um, I think Leno's that was the third time in his career he's been on the, on a bench. He left by Leverkusen, a club who have dropped from Champions League grace to Europa League. I assume he didn't move from Leverkusen to Arsenal to be in exactly the same position, but but a reserve. Right. So I expect him to come in soon. And Czech was was pretty panicky. Um, but yeah, there's a huge job for for Emery to do.
0: One other thing about City, Benjamin Mendes looked pretty special, eh, Tom? Yeah, he looked good when he got forward well. He got the
2: two assists.
0: Um, little pass for,
1: for Sterling for the first goal and then really nice assist for the second goal, getting to the byline and, and cutting it back for Bernardo Silva. Um he obviously missed most of last season, managed to get fit for the end of the season but then didn't uh, manage to win his place back in the France team um, because Lucas Hernandez came in and, and did really well. Um, so he, he should be fresh, he looked fresh. Um, I didn't think he was faultless. Um, I, think there was a, I think Arsenal's one good chance of the first half came after Hector Bellerin skipped past him quite easily. Um, but interestingly he got a bit of a, a telling off from Pep Guardiola afterwards Slightly cryptic. I wasn't sure whether it referred to his performances. There was also a mention of his uh, his social fondness media. for
3: social media-ing. Yeah, it was interesting because, I mean, I assumed that with Mendy playing, he was just going to always be overlapping and Sterling would be coming inside. But if you look at the pass for the first goal, he took up the kind of fab in position, if we can right. call it that, and played it outside. Also, had there been
0: VAR, he almost certainly would have conceded a penalty for that, that neck
3: Lockheed did on
0: uh, Ramsey people, I think Was it Aaron Ramsey yeah. A lot of people are, Paul for example Does anyone else Keep waiting for VAR To be used Only to realise There is no VAR Tom I know this is Something you really Wanted to mention Yeah, But I, but I think Michael really Doesn't want you to mention I, I, just,
1: <laughs> I just think it's worth It's worth flagging up And you know A lot of people have, have mentioned it on Twitter I mean that Watching a game on TV That is now your instinct And I was almost surprised By that because you know, obviously we've never had VAR in, in, in English football, so yeah. it's it's you a new. You got used to it already, didn't you? but you get used to it. Yeah. And I mean, there were there were there were quite a few incidents maybe over the weekend. Maybe you'll get
0: used to it then. If if a month was enough, like but then maybe I'll have nine... to
1: get used to it again when it eventually comes in. So I just don't know what to do with myself. I think you'll be up, up to the job.
4: Listeners, here's a question for you. Have you read The Economist? Like, actually read it? Because it's not just about economics, it's about everything. Politics, science, business, literature, and even a bit of football from time to time. For 170 years, The Economist has delivered trustworthy intelligence to generations of smart, thoughtful people just like you. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can have a copy for free. The Economist helps readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them. And in today's dynamic world, facts matter more than ever. But you don't have to be an international financier to enjoy it. I brought my subscription in January and I couldn't do without it now. Seriously, Mighty Knees Media is now this close to launching the Totally Belt and Road Initiative show. Look it up on The Economist website. It's amazing. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. So get your free print copy now. Just text the word FOOTBALL to 78070. That's FOOTBALL to 78070. Here's a question from Christopher Shoop Worrell, which you posted on
0: our Facebook page because you can. He says, do any of the point would radically change their pre-season predictions after the first weekend of the season? My closeted hope for a Pellegrini revolution overlooked how uneven West Ham's squad still is. Talk about West Ham later. Any of your predictions you're feeling less confident about?
3: Well, not in terms of the performance because it's only been one week. But I do think there was a couple of quite important results. I mean, I was kind of wavering over uh, Watford and Brighton as my third relegated side. And the fact that Watford have got three points... Could be pretty crucial at the end of the big season. Big three
0: points, isn't it? Yeah. And Richard who, who of course left Watford. It was another of the big turnups this weekend. We'll talk about those topics later on. By the way, if you want to get a question in at the Totally Show or at AC Jimbo. Bingo. Oh, let's talk about the other big clubs. We'll do all that Watford and other stuff very, very soon. But just to check through the other big six teams, we've well, got Chelsea. Very impressive 3-0 winners for you, Daniel, at the John Smith Stadium against Huddersfield. Or were Huddersfield a bit... Were they in a Sarri state, if you'll excuse me? Well,
2: um, I think there was a bit of a reaction after the Community Shield when when Manchester City schooled Chelsea that, oh, it's going to take Sarri a long time, etc, etc. Better teams than Chelsea and Arsenal will be schooled by Manchester City this season if they get up to full pelt and do it quickly. Um, what we saw on Saturday was Sarri's impact. Um, Ross Barkley started in a, in a midfield three with Mateo Kovacic still to come in that midfield three. Marcus Alonso started as a regulation left-back in the Premier League for the first time in a long time. It didn't seem to stop him getting forward. And we saw, as we expected pre-season, um, more of N'Golo Kante in the opposition half than his own and um, obviously he scored the first goal it was a little bit of a shinned volley and that's being generous to him but he was in a position where he wouldn't necessarily have expected to be last season so there certainly were changes the one interesting thing I'd say about Chelsea which is actually a negative is that Alvaro and looked look pretty wretched right. again um, and we know what he did with Dries Mertens at Napoli so the idea of Hazard maybe playing that role is a possibility. You I guess. reckon
0: Cortese, AJ Cortese, great name, asking that question, could we see Sarri using Hazard in a Mertens-esque role, Tom? Yeah,
1: it wouldn't be a surprise, would it? I mean, Maratta started relatively well um, last season uh, and then went off the boil quite spectacularly um, and Chelsea ended up being more dependent on Olivier Giroud than I think a lot of us expected when, when he arrived um, and clearly that the sort of movement sari's football requires. I'm not sure that's particularly well suited to Morata. I mean, Hazard playing as the central striker, if you like, would look very different under Sarri to the way it looked under Antonio Conte. But one of the one of the sad things last season about when Hazard was used there was that he spent too much time with his with his back to goal. Mm. And what you want is Hazard picking up the ball fairly deep, as he did with his assist for for Pedro at Huddersfield and driving forward. And and I didn't watch that much of Sarri at Napoli to know how Merton's fitted into the team. But I
0: wouldn't say he played with his back to goal. Hmm. I don't know that... It's uh, so- yeah,
1: my, my instinct is that it, Hazard playing as that central striker would, would, be, would suit him better than it did under Conte, hmm. but my, my instinctive thought is that you still want Hazard with as much freedom as possible, which, which probably means on the left...
3: Well, it's interesting as well that they played William on the left. And I don't think he's ever played there for Chelsea before with Pedro on the right. So that would play into the fact that they keep, you know, that's the template and Hazard will slot in. And Hazard was really, really good when he came on, despite the fact he seems to have, uh, should we charitably say, bulked up a little bit over the summer. He well, looked... It
2: was termed by one tabloid newspaper as a dad bod. Yeah. Wow. It was it was dad the, bod Hazard I
3: don't think the bright yellow kit helps, but... Uh, it's not a flattering cover. No. So. We've all had
0: a long summer, haven't we? Yeah. Um. Great start from Jorginho, a lovely penalty. MVR Murty Murti asking who we think was the most impressive debutant of the, of the weekend. Would he be in your thoughts for that? Oof, it's going to be Naby Keita, is it?
1: Keita think... was very good. I did enjoy Jorginho's penalty. I'm not sure I've seen someone take a penalty like that before, ever, in that he runs up to the ball quite deliberately and then does this little jump and then just tucks it in, yeah. and
3: the keeper was completely flummoxed. the sort
2: of thing you'd do if you were taking a penalty against a toddler in yeah. the garden? Yeah. It to, was... to make them go down very, very... He did it was it. a proper banter penalty. He... I really enjoyed it.
3: He did it with Napoli as well. Right. Um, might not see it much, because I assume Hazard will be back on penalties, but uh, it's fantastic to watch. I'd really really admire players who can wait for the goalkeeper to move. It's something we've come to take for granted, but to have that level of confidence, I think, is just incredible. Mm, well, a great start for
0: Sarri, who, of course, came straight from his day job as a hospital porter. Although, you know, temper your enthusiasm. Um, Scolari opened his Chelsea campaign with a 4-0 win over Portsmouth. So, just saying. And Liverpool, they had a 4-0 win, actually, over West Ham. Woof! Some Liverpool uh, performance. And we talk about the depth at Man City. A lot of depth to this pool, Dan.
2: Yeah, they they looked very, very good yesterday against a West Ham team that will take a while, I think, to, to be organised by Manuel Pellegrini. And they did look like a team of component parts and, and square pegs and round holes. The interesting thing about Cater is that he does provide something that Liverpool haven't had before um, You know, Fabinho might come in that number six role that Jordan Henson's been doing but Naby Keita is different to any other midfielder at Liverpool, he does play between the lines which last season I think Liverpool were basically three regulation centre midfielders and then three forwards and the way that they kind of blended those two, was for the forwards to drop deep. And and obviously it worked brilliantly with Salah picking the ball up from deep and running at defenders. Cater will give him another option there. He will go to meet the forwards and he means that maybe Mane, for example, doesn't have to drop quite as deep. Uh, We saw for the first goal yesterday that driving run from midfield, it makes teams look foolish because it looks like suddenly cater has got 30, 40 yards of space to run into. And if that makes Liverpool better, then it basically solves their only attacking issue of last season. I, I... you you asked about pre-season predictions you're regretting, and I picked Manchester United for second and Liverpool third, and I'm already teetering on that.
0: Wow. OK. Uh, a lot of people want to mention James Milner in amongst the excitement over Cater, Flan Master P. Uh, is he one of the best free transfers in the Premier League ever? He put in another good showing this weekend.
3: Michael. Yeah, I mean, he's done really well. I must admit, I was... I've always really liked James Milner, but I was sceptical about the idea he'd get a regular place in central midfield. And we still have to wait and see when others come into the side whether he maintains his place. But he's still got great drive and great energy. And yeah, I thought he was their stand-up player actually. And I know it was only a West Ham side that are, you know still reformatting with several new signings. But when you look at Liverpool's record last season, they were unbeaten at home, but I think they drew seven games. They did have a problem against uh, you know teams they should beat. So. I think it was a pretty positive result and a positive performance for Liverpool to to win so comfortably.
0: What about for the Hammerstein asking, how much time do we think Pellegrini will need to form his ideal West Ham side? Tom, would you care to hazard a guess on that?
1: Um, I mean, on the evidence of the game at Liverpool, it will take a little while. I mean, like any team that are trying to assimilate lots of new signings, um, you need time. And to play a Liverpool team um, who... Okay, they've, they've signed new players as well, but they were already a very effective team anyway. And it's a
0: similar story to Arsenal, really. Unfair to judge on the basis
1: yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you looked at the way they went about that game. I mean, the expectation was, I think, from a lot of us that Mark Noble and Jack Wilshire would play alongside each other. But in actual fact, Declan Rice played as, as a holding midfielder and Jack Wilshire played as a number 10. Hmm. Jack Wilshire didn't really touch the ball once, I don't think, in the first half. So at half time, um, they sent on. His oh, only dangerous moment in the box again. was when he got that, you know, the ball and it.
0: But anyway, Tom.
1: Um, so Declan Rice goes off at half time. Robert Snodgrass comes on, and Jack Wilshire drops back alongside Mark Noble, um, which I don't think is a particularly durable partnership obviously they've got Carlos Sanchez to come in Felipe Anderson made his competitive debut saw quite a lot of the ball I thought he looked quite good on the ball but sort of general vibe seems to be that he didn't really do very much yeah hard hard to judge West Ham uh, on that on that showing with all the new players and playing against a team like Liverpool in the same way that it's hard to be too critical about Arsenal given the quality of the opposition they were up against
0: Um, Elsewhere in top six land United and Spurs both had 2-1 victories which was the more impressive Tom United's wasn't
1: impressive. I mean, they scored very quickly. Poor Pogba penalty um, with a very deliberate runner. One of
0: Mourinho's favourites on
1: the score sheet. One of Mourinho's favourites. <laughs> and the other. You know. uh, and then Luke Shaw yeah. later on. Um, but it was, it was a performance that recalled very strongly a lot of performances we saw from United last season. They had lots of possession, didn't really do anything with it. Alexis Sanchez, who we're all expecting to be firing on all cylinders because he's had a summer off, looked just as bad as he did last season you know Leicester had Jamie Vardy on the bench not fully fit after the World Cup and you know they, they, were, they were lively and, and, and Vardy scores quite soon after coming on I mean United never really looked in any danger but they, they didn't look particularly impressive either
0: Well the good news for Jose is there were three things for him to get really upset about uh, one they looked bewildered when attacked so that's a bit of an issue uh, two he didn't get any players in after we last spoke on Thursday's transfer deadline day and three Paul Pogba making remarks post-game which seemed to indicate that there is still a lot of discontent uh, with his French star midfielder.
3: Yeah which is a shame because I thought he played well I think from the first minute he hit a brilliant diagonal and it felt like he was in World Cup mode. I think he's actually done all right for Manchester United to be honest over his two years but would be nice to see him become more consistent but yeah seems like they don't get on. On,
0: on Wednesday, we previewed the season and we did talk about Leicester, roughly 40 minutes in if you want to go back and check, but, but people suggested we didn't. So let's mention something about them here. We could certainly talk about uh, James Madison's performance though, which was, was, was excellent.
2: Yeah, he, he, the great thing to see from a, from a player that comes up in the Championship, and, and Madison's a £25 million player, which seems... It's a crazy thing to say about a player who's never played top-flight football, but he demanded the ball. He was always going to have to do that if Leicester was successful because they didn't really have anyone else to do that. Um, but at Old Trafford on your Premier League debut, there's you know, that's easier said than done to, to constantly demand the ball. And, and he did, and he looks like he's not short of confidence. I think he picked up a bit of a knock in the second half and went off injured, but Claude Puel doesn't seem to think there's any problem. Interestingly, one of the, the Sunday papers ran a story saying that Claude Puel was now two games to save his job. What? um which um was well sourced and claimed that they were looking at Roberto Martinez and Thierry Henry one or both of those two as a as a coming in um <laughs> but it would be crazy if Leicester everyone thought they would sack Claude well this summer and i think the fans would probably have gone for it right um it would be crazy for them to then give him the money allow him to buy young players the four most expensive signings they've made this summer are between 21 and 24 so they're clearly building for the future and then sacking three games into the season would be um, remarkable yeah it would be back to the banter Premier League brilliant one interesting thing on Manchester United they obviously won on Friday night as did Liverpool as did Manchester City and they were the three title favourites at the start of the season Manchester United were between 6 and 7 to 1 to win the league they're now between 14 and 18 to win the league having won their first game which kind of indicates just how impressive everyone thought Manchester City and Liverpool were in comparison with United. Right. That's good. That is good statting, that. Mm. That's incredible. It's mad. I mean, it it stuck out to me because it seemed so... It it was as if they'd drawn 1-1 at home, basically. That's what Mm. you'd expect if that had happened. So for them to win and then the odds to have doubled is remarkable, really.
0: It is. But, I mean, Spurs' odds would have been insanely long anyway, I imagine. Mm.
3: I think they started very well. They looked fresh. They pressed well. I think Newcastle came back into the game as tends to happen when you're a, a home side chasing it, um, but it just looked like more of the same from Spurs as we've, well, you it, know, as we've come it's to exactly expect exactly the same. Well, exactly the same, and and that's the great thing about Spurs. They had a really good transfer window. Um, people think that they had a bad transfer window because they didn't get any big names in, but for them to keep that squad together pretty much for two summers running, they've got the best centre back partnership in the league, best goal scorer in the league over th- last three years, the best goal scoring midfielder, one of the best chance creators, in Ericsson. They're punching above their weight. They're competing against sides with, you know, capable of playing their their players two or three times as much. Um, and for them to keep it all together at the moment where they're going to a new stadium, when you remember how much that decimated Arsenal's playing resources for 10 years. Mm. People have got so caught up in this transfer window obsession that you have to get new big names in. They've done incredibly to keep that uh, that squad together, especially because it's a young squad coming into their peak ages I think they had an absolutely blinding transfer window
0: all right the field did a lot of players who were involved in the semi-finals you know in the dying stages of the the World Cup none of whom particular well Harry Kane yes yeah, seemed to still have issues Deli Alley looks super fresh did you catch his reverse backheel nutmeg move I did
1: yes I did um, and I also thought that his his goal it's becoming a bit of a Deli Alley trademark the back post header I think on commentary they they referenced the fact that it was very similar to the goal he scored against Sweden at the World Cup but he's, he scored quite a few Goals for Spurs like that. I remember the game in 2016 17 when Spurs ended Chelsea's winning run, and it was with two headers like that. So that's become um, you know a, a big part of his game. Um, almost
0: a daily occurrence.
1: Almost <laughs> not quite, but yeah. Um, no, but I mean interesting point about the World Cup players because I had a look at how the use of World Cup semi finalists in the Premier League compared to oh. League 1 this weekend, which oh. also resumed, and only one of France's players played any minutes in League. And it was Florian Tova, and he played seven minutes for Marseille. Oh, really! All the other semi-finalists across all the other clubs were rested, whereas in England they've all been thrown in at the deep end. And you mentioned Harry Kane looked very leggy by the time we got to the end of the World Cup. Pretty leggy again against Newcastle. Didn't have his best game. And again, this extraordinary statistic about him having never scored a Premier League goal in August. Mm. He's now on 988 August minutes without a goal. And I agree with Michael that, that Spurs still look you know, every bit as strong as they were last season. But they are still so dependent on Harry Kane. And you do worry a bit about well, him burning out because he's had it... no sort of break and he's straight back into the thick of it.
0: Sorry to talk over the topic, but are they that dependent if they have a 2-1 win and he's almost a passenger? What?
2: They're dependent on him playing every game, particularly when Hyung min Sun goes off to the Asian Cup right. reasonably shortly. Um, the, the answer seems to be that whether he's fit or not, he starts. And because he's so much better than Fernando Uente and Vincent Janssen, that even a 50%, 40% fit Harry Kane is, is considered a better option than that. And I think that speaks partly to his quality, but also to just how close-knit that Spurs first-choice team is. Right. Uh, on a Spurs note, also, a lot of
0: people like Callum Paler asking about their kit. Yeah. The interesting thing about it, and it's a design surely more clubs will be adopting, is it features a map of North London. I don't know, in case the bus gets lost or whatever. Yeah, but, my, um, did it work just, for you, Tom? just
1: pulled it up here on his laptop. and what, When you see it up close yep. and you can see the map, it, it makes a bit more sense. From a distance, it looks a little bit strange. It's sort of dark blue at the top and then kind of... What would you say that is? Teal? Yeah. From sort of like the chest down. And it's and it has got this sort of map of North London imprint on it. But yeah, from, from like the distance that you watch on TV, not right. a great kit. And there have been quite a few of these slightly random, very kind of 90s like fade kits been brought. But last season we kind of went a lot more retro and there were some lovely kits around. This season it's almost like the kit manufacturers are running out of ideas I think to churn out three new kits every season. There are a few more of these slightly weird um sort of blendy numbers. Mm. Also on the kit front, Newcastle's new kit, quite a thin stripe on the Newcastle home shirt this year. I'm not a massive fan of thin stripes. I like a, I like a, a good thick stripe.
0: Personally... I love the redesign on the Melchester Rovers
3: kit. haven't seen that, that last <laughs> season. That's really, that's really <laughs> but nice. On this it, first yeah, one, this on is actually kit. quite difficult to pick out when you're watching the games. Mm. I mean, it's roughly the same colour as the pitch. which is why not many teams play in that kind of colour.
0: Interesting you should mention that. When watching Man City's game against Arsenal, I wondered if their fluorescent yellow socks were perhaps a Guardiola note, because I imagine that makes them incredibly easy for players to pick out.
3: Yeah, yeah. well, Barcelona had a similar coloured third kit in Guardiola's time there, so maybe he's uh, getting involved with the kit design. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Newcastle. Daniel, quick word on them.
0: They could they could have uh, well they hit the the woodwork a couple of times.
2: Yeah, they just lacked a little bit of spark in the clutch moments of the games, which is what happens when a squad is built up of players who have basically I think all eleven of their play their starters played from last season and eight of them regularly played in the championship season. Um, the saddest thing about Newcastle and the headline from that game is that on the the morning of the first game of the season, season ticket holders are protesting against the owner in the town centre, which is the antipathy of what new season joy should be all about. So mm. I think it'll be a long, hard season for them.
4: You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at roytheroversofficial.com. Newly promoted teams,
0: including Tom Williams at Craven Cottage, on the way. First, though, let me just give a shout out to The Totally Football League Show, which is back with Caroline Barker. On Tuesday. By then, the new totally Scottish football show will be available as well. Andrew Slaven and company will be talking about all sorts of things like Celtic losing this weekend. Of course, they've got a big game Tuesday night away at AK in their Champions League preliminaries. 1 1 from the first leg. Rangers, they got their first win under Stephen Gerrard. They've got a big game on Thursday with Maribor. They're 3 1 up from the first leg. Hibs only draw this weekend. They're at Mulder on Thursday. Very excited about Hibs under Neil Lennon, the entertainers. Anyway, all that sort of stuff about all of the Scottish football scene that's coming up with Andrew from, I think, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Golazzo returns on Wednesday afternoon ish, previewing what looks set to be an extraordinary season in the <laughs> peninsula. Of course, as you mentioned, Tom, France, they've already gone and got the season underway, haven't they? Crazy scenes. Paris Saint Germain, 3 0 winners over Cannes. Why was this exciting?
1: Oh, well, it was interesting because uh, PSG are still waiting for a lot of their World Cup players to come back. So they started with some youngsters. Colin Dagba started at right back, Stanley Unsocki at left back and Antoine Bernad in midfield. Ooh,
0: uh, ooh, 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 ooh. And
1: Timothy And Timothy Ware came on and scored his Weir first league 1 goal.
0: Yeah. Weyer-fis, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, so- the exciting, extraordinary thing is that he scored with Gigi Buffon debuting in the Paris Saint-Germain goal. And when Buffon debuted in his professional career, Tim Ware's dad was on the field, you know, for the, for the opposition, because it was Palmer milan Indeed. Is that exciting? The I A circle found that, of life. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so yeah, it's a good start for PSG. Neymar started, uh, mm-hmm. played through the middle uh, for the first time in his PSG career and 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 scored the opening goal. So they're up and running. And Lyon, 2-0 win
0: over Amiens.
1: With a lovely Memphis Depay free kick uh, on a really horrible pitch. They relayed their pitch, Leon, and it hasn't really taken because of the heatwave in France. So they were, um, they were a bit miffed about that.
0: What about Bertrand Traore's double nutmeg? Did you see that?
1: Yes. Yeah, nice goal. So Traore started up front. Um, uh, with, with Depay just behind him um, and yeah all basically all the, uh, the top four last season got off to winning starts PSG, Lyon Marseille won 4-0 against Toulouse couple of goals for Dimitri Payet who is hoping to get over his, his Europa League final and World Cup heartache um, and Monaco won 3-1 at Nantes not such a great start for Patrick Vieira at Nice Um, whose team lost 1-0 at home to Reims.
0: Right, with Balotelli out of the squad.
1: Balotelli out of the squad and seemingly on his way out. They've been, I mean, Marseille have been poised to buy him all summer, but it hasn't happened yet. So he's going to pop up somewhere.
0: Right. Um, What's that, Michael? What happened in Spain? Well, two things of great interest. One, Barcelona claimed the 2018 Spanish Super Cup with a 2-1 win over Sevilla. In Tangier, Mm -hmm. uniquely, Benyeda missing a last-minute spot kick. Uh, for Severe, The other exciting thing was Santi Cazorla's unveiling at Villareal. Why, Dan? It
2: was sort of literal smoke and mirrors. Um, it was a spinal tap homage. Yes, it was, but it was so drawn out and so that kind of unveiling, it's so obvious that what's going to happen, that there's no... Um, the magician who was performing the trick seemed to sort of um, bring in, think that there was going to be some uh, surprise element to it, but everyone knew that there was one canister that Santi Cazorla was probably going to come out of. Right. And, he, and he did. Um, okay, it was still, I did. still magic, though, wasn't yeah. it? Like he, still, he still emerged from a puff of smoke.
0: i got to hold my hands up. I didn't see... I mean, I've seen stills of it. What happens? There's an empty canister... and An then empty canister. Smoke. It fills
2: up with smoke. There's a lot of waving of arms. Uh, the, the waving of arms stops. The smoke also stops. The smoke then begins to clear. The door is thrust open and a smiling, handsome Santi Cazorla is standing there. It sounds good. i made it sound really good there. It did, but, yeah. Actual, actual magic. I think they've raised the bar.
0: Glad you liked it, Tom. Elsewhere in the wide world of football, uh, the Germans had their Super Cup. Robert Lewandowski getting his shooting boots back on and scoring a hat-trick in a five-goal trouncing 4 bar Munich over an untracked Frankfurt. Uh, here's C. Fitzgerald Morgan, who says, late entry, but please, can we have a moment... Well, Wayne Rooney's DC United, last-ditch yeah. tackle and assist in the MLS.
4: After Extraordinary
0: moments, this. You may have seen the video if you haven't. It's DC United against Orlando City. It's the 95th minute, and the score is tied at two goals apiece. DC, Rooney's team, have the corner, though, and their keeper has come up to try and snatch a last gasp winner, but oh my word, the ball comes out instead to an Orlando player who's streaking now towards the goal. Suddenly has the entire empty field ahead of him. He's at the 30, the 40, the 50, their 40, when all of a sudden, whammo, in comes Wayne Rooney. Dan, what a moment. Not only does Wayne Rooney completely clatter him off the ball, but Wayne he gets up, stumbles forward and puts an absolutely beautiful diagonal ball in Two checks notes, Acosta... Mm. who scores the winning goal in the 96th minute.
2: Yeah, any league in which Wayne Rooney is sprinting in the 96th minute of a match, having started that same match, uh, to tackle someone to then set up a goal um, reflects badly on everyone.
0: You don't like magic, do you? Uh, Cazorla, Rooney?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then.
0: Hey, how about those newly promoted teams in the Premier League Tom Williams you went to Craven Cottage how did that feel to be back there on the banks of the River Thames
1: it felt delightful I mean Craven Cottage as we all know is a lovely place to go and watch football it was a lovely day nice and sunny Um, And I think the fact that it was Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace as the opposition meant that there was lots of good vibes. And I watched the Fulham players get off the coach and obviously they're cheered and everything. And then the Palace coach turns up and I was kind of expecting boos because that's usually what happens. But Roy Hodgson is the first person to poke his head off the coach and he gets a big cheer.
0: Also, it's Fulham. Do they boo people? Yeah, perhaps not.
1: But it's not really a Fulham thing, is it? Mm. Um, So, yeah, lovely to be back at Craven Cottage. And... Yeah Fulham with six new signings in their starting 11 uh, seven if you include Alexander Mitrovic who has joined on a permanent basis uh, and that included both their goalkeeper Fabri and three of the back four uh, you had Jean-Michel Serri in midfield uh, who, who pinged the ball around very nicely uh, and André Schürrle on the right of uh, their front three and they started well Fulham um, they had most of the ball they were knocking it around well uh, I thought Mitrovic did really well and he was up against James Tompkins and Mamadou Sacco you know, a pretty unpleasant uh, centre-back pairing to come up against but he created a, a few chances for himself um, and, and Wayne Hennessy who was brilliant for Palace um, got in the way each time Uh but Palace scored uh, shortly before half time. Um, Jeff Schlup just managed to get the wrong side of Callum Chambers and, and scored from quite a narrow angle. And from then on, Palace were content to sit back. It played into their hands. We know how they played from last season using the the pace of Townsend and Zaha on on the counter-attack and Fulham didn't really lay a glove on them in the second half and then towards the end, lovely bit of play by Aaron Wan-Bissaka Palace's young right-back who was absolutely fantastic up against Ryan Cessignon all afternoon did really well well against him shrugs off a challenge for Mitrovic sidesteps Cessignon and then frees Zaha to run through and score so lots of encouragement for Fulham in terms of the quality of their football um, but ultimately taught a bit of a lesson in in Premier League realism And, and a great start for Palace obviously it took them eight games to avoid defeat last season, so right. they, they, look a lot, they look a lot better this time around.
0: Have some of that. Julian LaRon, who on, on Wednesday was busy touting Palace to go down, and largely on the basis that he didn't like them, <laughs> yeah. which, I don't know. Anyway, um, Wolves, of course, the other free-spending promoted side, uh, they took on Everton. Uh, a 2-2 draw against a 10-man toffee outfit but 10 men that featured one, Richarlison, who was the big story of this game.
2: He was. um, Because, as Michael alluded to with Spurs, we've become so obsessed with the transfer market and transfer fees. Um, A player is now defined and judged on his transfer fee before he's even played a game for his new club, which seems ridiculous. Um, To my mind, there's no difference between really between Everton paying 30 million or 40 million to get... Richarlison, if, if that's the player they want and that's the that Marcus Silva wants and at 21 years old believes he can improve then it was worth doing the deal and he's already scored twice and yeah. looked the game's best player and looked dangerous And
0: well, yeah. The first goal was, was bundled in but yes. the second goal spoke of a player with real
2: technique Yeah, he's got such pace and dribbling ability that um, defenders are instantly on the back foot which mean, because they're afraid of having to suddenly turn around and run towards their own goal, which means he was able to basically use the, the central defender as a, as a guide to curl his shot round, a la Thierry Henry, which is a huge compliment to Richarlison, but in a similar vein. Um, one interesting thing about the game, I thought, Everton had more shot more shots on target with 10 men than they did in 21 of Sam Allardyce's 26 <laughs> league games. It was interesting to hear Allardyce on on the radio blaming Pellegrini for how West Ham sat up and, and blaming... Marco Silva for Everton's flaws and yeah, there is a man who's enjoying his new media career.
0: Right, probably. A lot of people asking, we're going to see him again soon, aren't we, mm. on, on a bench. Just on the Richarlison subject, it wasn't just the price tag that had people raising their eyebrows, it was the fact also that he hadn't scored since November 2017. He's scoring with his first shot here, Tom, having failed on his previous 53 shots. With Watford, was this a fluke or are, as Penguin of Truth asks, lots of people are going to have to swallow their pride and admit they got it wrong?
1: Well, Penguin of Truth, um, I mean, I think we were all really impressed by Richarlison last season uh, and then he went off the boil um, and as a result, the amount of money that Everton paid for him stood out as much as it did. But I think what you saw in the, the early performances last season how good he was. I mean, the way he took that second goal told you a lot that you need to know about his ability. Interestingly, the first Everton player to score on his debut since Joe in 2009, oh. so what could possibly go wrong?
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the other big talking points from this game, Michael, was the red card which left Everton with just 10 men, Phil Jagielka. Not sure, was it ever cleared up whether it was for dangerous play or for denying goal-scoring
3: opportunity? A dangerous play, I thought. Yeah, OK.
0: Yeah. Uh, some people felt it was harsh and that the subsequent three-game ban is going to be harsh on Everton. But
3: I don't really agree. I thought it was a red card tackle. Okay, agreed.
2: Um, it's also not that hard. It probably isn't that harsh on Everton on the basis they've got Yerry Mina and Kurt Zouma ready to step in, and I suspect that may well be one of Jagielka's last starts this season.
0: Other thoughts on Wolves? Ruben Neves' free kick.
1: Be impressed? Um, but, I mean, Ruben Neves. There's a lot of expectation. We saw what he did in the Championship last season, and. It says here on my notes that he has scored seven goals from outside the box hmm. since the beginning of last season, which is more than any other player in uh, England's four professional leagues um, and scores a fantastic free kick, sets up the equaliser of a Jimenez. Um, and, I mean, last season he was a not just a Premier League player in the Championship, he was a Champions League player in the Championship. So I think we can expect to see more of that from him this season.
0: The other newly promoted side, Cardiff, of course, 2-0 losers, at Bournemouth so there's that
3: uh, yeah they seem almost to, in yeah. a category of their own this season mm-hmm. Cardiff in the sense of the other two sides they've come up we're expecting them to finish mid-table or above I mean Cardiff in terms of both personnel and maybe more personally style do seem like a championship, like a mid-table championship side really they did very well to get up I can't imagine they're going to get many points away from home um, and I think the home record is going to be really what what gives them a chance of staying up they also sit on their own in terms of playing style. Warnock is going to do
2: exactly what Warnock does. Um, they had the lowest passing accuracy by 8%. They had the lowest possession in the Premier League this weekend. They completed the fewest passes. Um, they effectively just play it very long. And now that they've signed Bobby Reid and are not didn't play Ken Tahore, who is actually a very physical striker, it just didn't work. And yeah, I fear for them.
1: Another Cardiff point, um, Neil Etheridge, their goalkeeper, uh, the first Philippines international to play in the Premier League and he saved a penalty from Callum Wilson.
0: I was surprised to hear that he is actually Filipino.
1: How he work? born in London, I believe, uh-huh. to a Filipino mother and uh-huh. I think he represented England at schoolboy level but got the call from the Philippines when they realised that there was this connection. I think he's got about 60-odd caps for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Okay. A really interesting bloke Etheridge in that he, almost, he basically dropped out of professional football for a while. And then suddenly got a call and played a bit and got a move to Cardiff and now is a Premier League goalkeeper. It's a really wow. good story.
0: You get that a lot, don't you, of Premier League keepers who used to be... There, there was a Fulham keeper who was in the army. I Mike, believe Taylor.
3: You. Mike Taylor. Mike well, oh, Taylor, okay. yeah, Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, yeah that was to... a really odd one.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there's been others who... Because you can. You can have a day job, can't you, if you're a keeper?
3: <laughs> no, Southall was a binman.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, on the subject of keepers... Just a couple of other points before we let you go, listener, on this uh, opening totally football show of the season. Burnley had a 0-0 draw at Saints, which featured the return of Joe Hart between the post and a clean sheet for Joe. It also meant Burnley have notched up two goalless draws in a row because they, they did against uh, um, Basak Shahir of Istanbul in the Europa League. They've got second leg coming up on Thursday. That's a big game for Clarets. Watford, meanwhile, two-nil winners over Brighton. Chris Hughton very down on his uh, Seagulls' chances afterwards. Watford's goals from Roberto Pereira. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hey,
1: eh? first one was an absolute zinger sort of Paul Scholes-esque loitering in the edge of the box at a corner, I think it was Hollibas puts, puts in a cross um, and catches it beautifully. I really like Pereira as a player and we didn't, didn't see all that much of him last season, he only made 18 starts um, and I think he'll probably be the, the chief beneficiary of Richarlison's departure.
0: Right, you'd have thought Brighton might want to pick him up because looking at the stats, he has scored five and assisted the other of Watford's last six goals in the Premier League that's mm. some consistency
2: He feels like he might be Watford's Abdullahi of this season, suddenly scoring goals, and Etienne Kapuri the season before, of a a player that suddenly starts scoring goals at the beginning of the season.
0: All right. Well, let's hope he has a little bit more consistency from uh, the Hornets' point of view. Well, that's it for the Premier League weekend. Michael, anything else you want to add at this stage?
3: Yeah, I just really enjoyed the fact that all the transfer nonsense has been out of the way, really. I remember a game a few years ago in North London derby where Arsenal won one nil against Tottenham. Traditionally, the biggest game of the season. And we were all talking about whether Ozil was coming, whether Bale was going. And we just got to talk about the football this weekend. And it was you know the transfers have fed into the football games rather than the transfer rather than the football games feeding into transfer rumors and uh, it might not have worked out for the premier league they might be worse off financially and they're still open to losing some players but from a, a viewer's point of view i very much enjoyed just being able to focus on the games
0: nice of course Ericsson, one of the players that they might lose out a lot of talk of real madrid on this monday are formulating a major major a swoop for him well i tell you what daniel you came up with amazing Odd statistic about Man United earlier if you like that kind of thing you may well enjoy this as here comes producer Ben talking to our friends at Paddy Power who've got loads of odds
4: thank you Jimbo time for the highlight of the show it's Lee Price from Paddy Power Lee how are you doing I'm feeling very good. A great
5: weekend of football. How
4: are you? I'm all right, thank you, Lee. Certainly better than most Arsenal fans. Uh, Let's talk about them first. I've got a feeling they could be bottom of the league by the end of August. They've got some really hard games coming up.
5: Yeah, I love this. It only took one game for all the optimism and new start chat to absolutely disappear. A thorough beating by the champions and they're back to moaning. The odds here are quite short. When you sent this through, I thought, oh, no chance. The traders make this 4-1. That tough fixture list, as you say could make it happen, uh, it'd be hilarious.
4: Let's stick with the bottom of the table. West Ham uh, got absolutely spanked by Liverpool 4-0. Great performance by Liverpool. Not so good by uh, this new West Ham team. Um, Are they going to be in relegation trouble this season?
5: West Ham's relegated 7-1. That has come in a bit, but it is only one match against Liverpool who everyone fancies. So time will tell, but worrying times for sure.
4: I noticed that Daniel Sturridge came off the bench and scored within two seconds of coming onto the pitch. Uh, Could he get 20 goals this season? (laughs)
5: yeah he scored with his first touch Uh, I don't think he can I'd be surprised if he gets 20 appearances in but uh, it's 10-1 to he scores more than 20 Premier League goals if he does Liverpool surely will be title contenders because he's not even their first choice forward
4: and Harry Kane continued his miserable form uh, going into the new season he still hasn't scored in August ever is he going to do it this year or is the drought going to continue
5: it's looking more and more likely that the drought will continue maybe he should have August off Paula lad, clearly needs a break. Uh, he looked knackered at the World Cup. That continued for Tottenham. It's 3-1 to that Kane doesn't score this August. It would be remarkable he didn't.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. That's it then for today's Totally Football Show. hope you have a great week. Tom, I know you're off to see The Meg. I am indeed. I don't think I'm going to go and watch it. I saw an excoriating, is that a word, excoriating, mm. film this weekend. I'm really late to this. If you're looking for a movie and you like a really rough time at the cinema, but then afterwards kind of have a lot to think about, First Reformed, Ethan Hawke's uh, movie, he plays a, uh, well, a clergyman.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I've seen the posters.
0: <sighs> Ooh, it's a, there's barbed wire. There's all sorts of stuff. Ooh. Yeah, I
1: mean it, the Meg. The meg is probably going to be dreadful, but I, it's, I quite it, like shark films. Back so. to
0: my film though,
1: which directed <laughs> it's directed
0: sorry. by yeah. Paul Schrader, you know, who wrote like Taxi Driver and every great film ever, ah, like right, Raging okay. Bull. That it is it is it's, it's an amazing film, very thought provoking. Anyway, sorry, Michael. What's your week hold?
3: Nothing apart from watching football. I'm afraid, James. brilliant. Living the dream. Pretty much. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. And Daniel. Very much the same, thankfully. Damn. Down. Listeners, we'll be back on a Thursday with more football watching folk. Do join us then. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye.
4: You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts: the revamped Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker, and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show.